Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. This is going to be a class that we teach every week on on a piece of the Parsha. Um, we, we felt like it would be a nice way for us to get people involved in Parsha study, which is currently not something that our community is engaged in from kind of the beginning of of Torah till the end. Rabbi Klickfeld obviously has a very popular and very well attended Chumash with Rashi class, but I believe there is somewhere in Exodus. So we'll catch up to them at some point. Um, but we'll go week by week. And we wanted to just, as a team, figure out something that was interesting to us about the Parsha and share it with you. So we're not going to go through every aspect of every Parsha. Um, Rabbi Shapiro and I chose a specific piece of the Parsha to be able to focus on today. Um, And we have not actually discussed what we were interested in in terms of that piece of the Parsha. We just picked a verse with one another and said, okay, go. And we will have a conversation and share some teaching with you um, and ask for your feedback and questions and conversations around the same topic. So I'm going to let Rabbi Shapiro um, jump in here and actually introduce which verse we are going to be focusing on today. Um, just to realign us all with the with the calendar, we are starting Brayshit this Shabbat, which is very exciting. And so this class really is... Uh, thanks to the sound of music, starting at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. And uh, I'll let Rabbi Shapiro take it away. Do we not need them? You do not need to have Chumashim with you, though if you would like to have them, you totally can. We'll tell you what, which chapter and verse we are looking at, but you don't have to have them with you. I, I, I'm going to share my screen in just a moment so that folks can see the verse that we're talking about and can see it in context for a bit. But yeah, if you'd like to have uh, a Chumash or a Tanakh in front of you, you're of course welcome to and, and might be helpful in referring to to what we'll be talking about if, if it's helpful for you to see the words themselves in front of you the whole time. Um, not Not to contradict Rabbi Schatz right from the outset, but we're actually not starting at the very beginning. We're actually starting somewhere in chapter four, uh, which is hopefully also a very good place to start. Um, So here's, I'm guessing many of you, if not all of you, know the story, are are familiar with the story. Um, What we're going to be exploring a little bit today um, I, th- the way that Rabbi Shas and I have been talking about this is, is to pick just one pasuk, right? Not even a story, not even a set of pasukim, but to see uh, what comes up for us in just that one pasuk. And so we're going to be picking up one of the pasukim uh, in the middle of the story of Cain and Hevel, more popularly known as Cain and Abel. So to get us up to speed, Cain and Abel... Uh, Adam and Eve's Adam Vechava, if you prefer the Ivrit, uh, two sons, right? So you see at the beginning, uh, Cain was the firstborn, and then Abel was born. Uh, spoiler alert, this does not end well. Um, but we're not going to go all the way through to the end of the story. We're going to be focusing in on verse 5. 
right? So if you look here, um, as time went on, Cain brought an offering, right? He, he brought some type of offering to God. It was, it was not, uh, it was not uh, an animal, right? It was, it was vegetation, right? It was from the ground. And uh, like any good younger brother, uh, he saw his older brother and he wanted to do it too. Right? He brought from his flock um, and and from from their product, right? From from their chalav, right? He brought from his flock and and uh, from their milk. And God paid heed. This word sha'ah is an interesting one. God turned to, paid attention to, noticed, recognized um, what Hevel had brought. And that brings up us to the verse that Rabbi Shatz and I are going to focus in on uh, this morning in our time together. Verse 5, here it is. The El Kain, the El Minchato, Lo Sha'ah. But to Cain and his offering... He did not pay heed. He did not pay attention. He did not turn to that offering. And Kain was was very distressed. Was was much uh, was very upset, and his face fell. Um, which you know to to tilt a little bit into something that that I think Rabbi Schatz is going to be talking about is is a phrase is sort of like a a figure of speech that you might recognize in a couple of different forms over the course uh, of the Torah. So so that that verse five that's the verse that we're going to be focusing in on today. There's a lot that happens over the course of the rest of the story. We know there's plenty to explore. We know there's stuff ahead of this, and I'm sure those pieces will be popping up, but at least in terms of what we're initially going to be sharing with you, it's going to be some thoughts mostly revolving around uh, that specific pasuk. Yeah? Great. So we want to, as Rabbi Shapiro keeps us up for just a second, we want to ask you, this is something that I do with all students when learning Torah, um, we want to ask you if you have any good questions, which in Torah learning are called kushiot. Um, and maybe Rabbi Shapiro can just make his screen a little bit bigger so we can really just focus in on um, uh, verse 5. So... What what are some questions that you have about this verse of Torah? And you're not going to answer the questions. You're just going to ask them. Yes, Karen. Why wasn't God happy? Great. Why wasn't God happy? Right? I never knew this. So thank you already. You're, you're so welcome. Why wasn't God happy? It was the first time that an offering had ever been made. How can you already be unhappy? You don't even know what an offering is, right? What What's there to be unhappy about? Okay, other questions, other kushiot. What made what made Cain so distressed? Okay, why was he angry? What what about this this last moment here made him angry? What played into the rivalry? Did any of this play into the rivalry? Great. Okay, fantastic. Was this the beginning of of the rivalry that we know ends in ends in demise? was possibly Cain distressed too rapidly. Maybe he should have given God a little bit more time to look at the two things and to talk to, to, to the both of them 
instead of being so upset by the way he felt so rapidly that he was distressed. Great. That's a beautiful, a beautiful question. What, you know, where was the patience in all of this? Why was there, why are we so quick to judge and quick to anger? Yeah, Marlise. Um, well, I'm looking at about his, how his face fell and wondering if there's anything, um, it just means kind of how, what it means in, in English or how, you know, if there's anything in particular about biblical Hebrew and just also if, if it does mean that I kind of like he had some kind of ex- expectation perhaps about what, what was he looking forward to or what was, what was on his mind beforehand, you know, ex- ex- what was it, what were his expectations of God and what was he hoping for? Great. So assuming hoping for some, you know, to, for it to be like with Abel. But. Yeah. Wonderful. So again, we are at the beginning and then Bonnie, I'll call on you. We're at the beginning of the Torah here. How can there be so much expectation when relationship has been so short, right? We don't, we don't actually know how you can expect so much when either God or Cain in this, in this case, how can you expect so much? And what does it mean? His face fell, right? If I asked all of you, to show me what it means that your face fell, you would probably show me facial expressions or something like that. Is that really what, yeah, Jay is showing us one way, right? Being sad, like being dumbfounded, right? Being in shock, whatever it might mean. What does it actually mean in this case? And why use that phrase of your face falling? Bonnie, you had your hand up. Yes, what is the difference between the two um, gifts? I mean, Mm. why were they, because one was accepted and one not. Mm-hmm. And was there something about his feeling about what he brought that was incorrect? Mm-hmm. Was God looking for something in particular or wanted something different? Great. Great. Yeah, we know what, what Abel brought, but we don't know what Cain brought, right? And so what was so different about his offering? Um, Right, we know it was the fruit of the soil. Thank you, Rabbi Shapiro, for, for scrolling. But we don't necessarily know what that means, right? We don't know what kind of fruit. We don't know if that was... We, we, don't, we don't exactly know what it was that, um, that he brought that was such a, such a problem, such a difference from, from the good thing that Abel brought. Karen, is that a hand? Yeah. So you said, uh, you know, this is like the beginning. How could we be so angry and all that stuff? If he's seeing, is he seeing Kate Abel's offering being accepted and God is happy? Is it, automatically, that would be a jealous kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't yep. have to be months and years. If you're standing next to your sibling and, and the parent loves one, the other one is really pissed and wants to kill them. That's <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, hopefully not in modern modern day. But but yes, that there is, of course, there you're judging yourself against the person who is closest to you, which in this case is a sibling. Um, fantastic. Yes, Gary. Okay. I was just wondering, why did God need an offering in the first place? Yeah. Now, it doesn't say God shall give me an offering if you do X, Y, Z, if I do X, Y, Z. Great, fantastic. Great. So because I think we're not actually going to talk about this, I'm going to use this as a jumping off point. Um, I'll have Rabbi Shapiro. Well, actually, Rabbi Shapiro can decide whether who's going to start. Um, 
It's interesting that this is the first time, this part of the story is the first time that God's name is used as the tetragrammaton, um, that yud Hey vav Hey is used. And the times that yud Hey vav Hey is used most later in our Torah, which we'll see if you continue with us for many more months, um, is, is often when it's that kind of sacrificial or or almost temple type god which is not the kind of god that was present with adam and eve in the garden of eden so it is an interesting pivot here that we go from relationship and very close-knit bond with the parents to now all of a sudden a uh, a a certain kind of distance and and almost um uh, transactional relationship between Cain and Abel and and God. So thank you for that for that question, uh, Rabbi Shapiro. Yes. Um, would you? I don't know what you are focusing on. So would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first, or should we both share what we're going to focus on and then decide? What if we alternate words? I say one word, and then you say another word, and then we like play the sentence game, and we see if we can form. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share. I'll share one piece that I that came to mind for me um, because it it picks up um, on something Rabbi Schatz was was just mentioning in terms of the names of God. Um, if if you've heard me talk often enough, and if that's you, I'm I'm so sorry. Uh, but if you've heard me talk often enough, you've probably heard me refer to this book before. But it, it's uh, it, it's really one of, for me, the most illuminating books on uh, Tanakh that I've read. Um, it's called God, a Biography by Jack Miles. Has anyone read that? Show of hands. Mike, Mike, is, Mike is nodding. Yeah. Mike, you like it? Thumbs up? Thumbs up. Okay, good. I got a thumbs up out of Mike. Um, and what, uh, what the author sketches out his, his thesis essentially is that the, the Tanakh is one long narrative with God as the protagonist and sort of God's arc is trying to figure out how to be in relationship with humanity. So from, from the very beginning until the very end of Tanakh, what, what we're reading is a story of God trying to figure out how to be in relationship with us, which I think is, is a really fascinating way, right? We usually think about, about ourselves, right? The, the, the characters in the Torah or the people of Israel as sort of the central actors uh, in, in uh, the different stories. And he sort of flips the script on that, which is very, very interesting to me. And so particularly for this story, I think it's a really interesting angle in terms of some of the different questions that are being asked. Great guys, like awesome questions. Those, those were fantastic. We've decided to extend our time from ending at noon to ending at three thirty. So thank you. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really interesting to look at this story through that lens, right? God has never had sacrifices offered to God before. Right. God doesn't know how to respond to sacrifices. Uh, these are God's first grandkids. Uh, what do you, how do you, how do you relate to your grandkids? Right. Do you, do you say to, to your grandkids all the time? Oh, everything you do is so great. Right. I, I, I barely know how to handle kids. I certainly couldn't figure out grandkids yet. Uh, two, 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 one day. Um, but how, how do you navigate that? Right. How do you, how do you navigate something being offered up to you when maybe you like one more than the other? Right. If, if my kids draw pictures and I like one picture better than the other, what do I say? 
right? God's never done this before. God's never had two pictures shown, shown to her before and trying to figure out which one she likes better, you know? Um, so I think for me, it, it's interesting to look at it through that lens. And the inverse is true as well, right? Cain, Cain and Abel are also trying to figure out how to relate to God. There, there isn't a blueprint for them. We have a blueprint. Uh, depending on how much rabbinic literature you've read, you could say we have too much of a blueprint, uh, right? But we certainly have have a lot of very clear indications of how to build a relationship with God through tefillah, through mitzvot, through acts of chesed, right? We have all of these ways of, of and we're really gifted that, that there, that there are a host of blueprints in our tradition about how to, how to build a relationship with God. They don't have that, you know? And so I think it's it's interesting for me to think about that that in both directions, um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a curveball on this, uh, and then I'll turn it over to Rabbi Schatz. Before, um, before you throw in the curveball, just because it, you might take it in a different direction. Um, I do, I do think that, that there's also something so interesting about, they have to get to, they have to figure out how to know one another. And when we think about how their parents have set up what it looks like to be in relationship with one another, Cain and Abel only know how to be in dissonance, right? Adam and Eve, I wouldn't say had a had necessarily a loving relationship. They produced children, but they didn't necessarily know what it meant to work in partnership, right? Eve eats from this tree that she knows she knows she's not supposed to eat from, and immediately because she knows she did something wrong, she says, "Oh, well, you you've got to do that with me too because if I'm going to do something wrong, at least you're going to be there with me and come down with me." So, I do think that that this also plays into the way that all of Genesis works really, which is familial relationship and how we learn from those who are teaching us what it means to be in relationship. And as you said, Rabbi Shapiro, God is also learning from the people how to react. How do I react to someone who has done something, quote, wrong? How do I react to someone who's given me something that's, quote, better? And a meta question to ask over the time that we are in relationship with God is, does God change? Right? Does God change when people figure out humanity and figure out what it means to be a person? Does God's relationship to people also change to reflect that? Um so anyway, I just want to throw that in before you had your curveball. I'll I'll throw in another piece to the mix, and then I'll throw the curveball. Um, although I did see Renee, I see Renee making challah. I think it's challah, but it kind of looks like a snake, and there's a tree behind her. So so Renee's sort of reenacting something from earlier on in the parasha, which which is great. Um, I, I I think my my answer to does God change? I think is is a, a very rabbinic yes and no. Um, and, and we can, we can explore that maybe at a later date. Um, and yeah, in terms of God figuring out how to be in relationship and at, right. And, and Cain and Abel only seeing the conflict. Um, I know, I, I think I'm getting, uh, well, I know I'm getting older, but, but I think I'm becoming like very old white male because I, I just wrote a piece for for the Kol Ha'am in which I reference Jackson Brown lyrics and I'm about to reference Bruce Springsteen. So I think I'm literally turning into my father like <laughs> as we speak. Um, but I was listening to some Bruce Springsteen this morning and he and this this is purely from from the boss. He has he has a song called Adam Raised a Cane. And I had been thinking about God relating Ooh. to Cain and Abel, but I hadn't yet been thinking about 
Adam and Eve's parenting of their kids. They've never parented before. No one has ever parented before. Parenting's hard enough when you have the books and the advice and you can talk to family members and friends and you can, they, they, no one has ever parented before. Yeah. Um, so, so I also think just this question of how to um, raise kids and what they learned from that, right? The only discipline they've ever seen before is when God kicked their parents, heard about before is when God kicked their parents out of the garden of Eden. That's the, that's the only experience of discipline that they've experienced and it's exile and it's potentially shaming and it's all of that. That's all they know about how to respond to a situation where there's conflict. So I think that's really interesting too. The curveball I'll throw uh, is uh, I think Cain gets a raw deal in rabbinic sources. Uh, I really do. Um, I mean, if we pause at this point in the narrative, I mean, I'm going to leave the murder out of it for a second. Uh, but if we, if we pause at this point in the narrative, there's a lot of rabbinic sources talking about how Cain's sacrifice or Cain's offering wasn't accepted because his intention wasn't pure. He doesn't have the right kavanah behind it or his brother's was better, whatever it is. Um, I don't see that in the shot of the text. I, I really don't, right? And we're rabbinic Jews and we view our text through the lens of the rabbis. But if I go back to the shot of the psukim that we looked at earlier, I really don't see that. And if anything, I see the opposite. Cain was the first one to offer, right? He, he had the initial impetus to say, I want to find a way to be in relationship with, with this being that nobody's really figured out how to be in a relationship with before. And I think it's also interesting, you know, in, in, Tor, in the Torah, there really seems to be some ambivalence, right, around eating meat about, about what it is. And, and Cain's offering grain. He's offering, right, this nice sort of whole, he, he got it, the, the, he went to the vegan restaurant. He went to the health food store. You know, he's, he's doing it nice and in integrity with the world around him. And he really gets slammed by the rabbis for not having the right intention. And I think there's sort of some, some justifications around that in terms of trying to figure out how the Torah works the way it does, right? And why God might've accepted one, not the other. Um, but I think that, that that's, that's challenging for me as I was looking through some of these sources in terms of trying to make sense of them, sort of bringing them back into the narrative and, and seeing what's really happening there. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I see Ilan has, uh, a hand up, and I'm, I'm curious to see what, what Rabbi Schatz is going to toss into the mix as well. Yeah, I just uh, kind of going off on what you just said, Rabbi Shapiro, I find it un- the, the passage is unbelievably disturbing um, because what I see from it is that God is the cause of the sibling rivalry, right? He, he God, for whatever reason, decides not to recognize Cain's gift. And whatever Cain's intention is, is less important to me than that is unbelievably disturbing, right? And and God's lack of acknowledgement, what what that ultimately leads to, um, it, it, it's just, we want to talk about a model for how to interact with people or how to interact with children or grandchildren, whenever this is a, an absolutely awful model. And, and it, it's just, I, I had never focused in on this line before, but now that we're doing that, it, it really stands out to me that way. I'll leave it to Rabbi Schatz to pick that up and run with it. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to work. No, no, I mean, I look, I, I, it, it's a tough pasuk, 
right? It's a, it's a tough pasuk because we see the impact that we see the impact on him. We see the emotional impact on him, and I and I've intentionally been been sort of because I I did peek at Rabbi Shams's source sheet. I, I know she's going to be picking up a little bit on on face falling, right? And and, and like his emotional experience, um, but it clearly impacts him emotionally, um, and, and and is harmful. To him, you know, like, and and in turn, there's there's a question back about, well, well, when when you're feeling shame, frustration, anger, how do you, how do you process that, right? What do you do with that? And of course, we're each ultimately responsible for our own reactions and responses to the world around us. Um, but yeah, there's harm, you know, there, there's harm done. Um, what what one more sort of like floating thought that came to mind as we're beginning to explore this because I like to play with this kind of thing is, is I'm wondering about thinking about like those characters internally for us, right? What's the, what's the Cain part of us internally? What's the able part of us internally? The, and there's always going to be one part, right? We, we, we each contain multitudes, right? There are different aspects of who we are as humans. And there are parts of us that are going to be more accepted, welcomed um, by the outside world and parts of us that aren't. Right. Because we like whatever the part of us that gets more of the attaboys or I like that or like, yeah, that's a nice part of you. There's parts of us that are maybe less accepted. And so then what what do we do with that other part of us that that's still there without it becoming um, destructive? You know, Um, because there can be I'll I'll speak for myself. Like I have I have internal conflicts. Right. There are parts of myself that I feel like folks are happier to see. Uh, and parts of myself that folks are less happy to see, you know, um, and it's all who I am. Um, and so then how do I, how do I navigate that um, internally would be another thing that I would sort of throw out into the Parsha hopper. Uh, so I agree with you, Elon. I think that this is part of the reason that, that we decided to land on, on this part of Parsha Brayshid is because Many of us just skip over it and talk about how lovely it is that God wanted us to find partners and that man and women were made equally and blah, 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 blah. But we don't often, and those are nice things, obviously, but we don't talk about the what is so hard about the fact that our story, our Torah and our story really begins with us having no good role models for how to be, behave as human beings in the world. And to figure that out kind of on our own and to know that God, if this is your theology, that God has a hand in how this all plays out for Cain and Abel, of course has a hand in how it, how it turned out for Adam and Eve, though people would say that that was, it was Eve's fault. And so God had to take them out of the, um, out of the garden but I, but I 100% agree with you. I think that there's that there is there there's real struggle in how we read this story, not as a part of of the narrative where we can just say, oh, this was all on Cain and Abel. But that God should have intervened. There should have been a way for this to not have happened, or in any good preschool classroom, which is how I imagine the Garden of Eden was. That. The, you know, the, the preschool teacher wouldn't say that picture is better than this picture, but 
oh, can you see how Elon used so many colors in his picture? Can you show me how you can use more colors in your photo? Right? There, there are ways in which we can get people to a standard that we are holding for them without saying, that's bad, that's good, which is what we see in this part of the story. And what I want to mm-hmm, – yeah, Shapiro. Rabbi Shapiro, sorry. That's, that, that's Shapiro rabbi to you. Sorry. Rabbi Shantz. Uh, um, we don't actually hear in in the narrative how we know which one got favors, which is which is interesting. As I was looking at the psukim just now, right? We we hear right. It says, "Vayisha um, Adonai uh, Al but like we don't we don't actually know what that means, right? right. We, we don't know, we don't know what it means that God likes pays attention to one and not the other which is yeah if if not like a, a a gaping hole in the narrative it's still like, interesting for me to think about well well what does that mean how how did they know which one god god preferred if they knew right right, right. so i i want to pick up on this for one second then we are going to go into the vaiplouf uh, panav piece but it's also interesting for those of us who have who have looked deeply into specifically Leviticus when we talk a lot about sacrifices, there are different kinds of sacrifices and the word that is that is often used for sacrifice is the same root as the word to come close. Karov, um, the right? And and yet here the word is minchato, which is a type of sacrifice, the mincha sacrifice. But it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't make us feel as though Cain or Abel felt a closeness with God to then, to then offer, right? The idea that the rabbis often grapple with and using the same word for closeness and sacrifice is that there was a sense of relationship and of cleaving to God. And that's why the sacrifice was given. But here... That's that's not there at all. To to put something down is used as the same root as minchato. Like place it down and you walk away. So that's also a very interesting piece to weave in here to to the idea of this sacrifice giving. Uh, what was it for and how did it play out? But I want us to look at vayplu panav, which is a direct um, correlation to how Cain feels after this sacrifice. Vaipluv panav, nafal means to fall, right? So the English here is correct. His face fell. But again, what does that, what does that mean? What do we mean by his face fell? So we have a few different commentaries that I'm going to share with you, but I want to point out that there are many places in our Torah, which Rabbi Shapiro alluded to a few moments ago. There are many places in our Torah where main characters say that they've been through this hard thing and their faces fall or they fall on their face, which is the same idea. So what Sforno says on this particular verse in Breshit is that Cain felt ashamed, feeling that God had publicly shamed him, that somehow God had said, this is bad, right? That's what, that's how he's translating pay no heed, right? That this is a, this is a not good sacrifice. So you are now you know, being shunned or put aside or disregarded for the sacrifice you've given me. But what the Orachim says, I think is really, is a very fascinating piece that I'm sure Rabbi Shapiro will um, have something uh, spiritual to say about. He says that there is, 
There is something profound about the idea of being made betzelam Elohim, in the likeness of, in the way that you look, right? And not only the way that you look, but the way that you look at others. And that all happens with your face. There's a beautiful midrash that if I forget in time, I'll share with you when we get to it in the in Exodus, um, that, that you can't actually know what your face is doing, unless you're on Zoom all day, every day, and looking at your face. In a normal world where we're not behind a screen with a camera, we can't see our own face. We need a mirror or a camera or something to show us our face. And so what the Orachayim is saying is that the divine image, this Selim Elohim, actually lives on your face. It's reflected in your face. And so when Cain feels as though God has not respected him and not chosen him, right, if we want to use that loaded word, that the anger that he feels for God is actually reflected in that Selim Elohim, is reflected in that divine spark because God wasn't able to, to maybe even see God's own godliness in Cain. And Cain felt as if it drained from his face. So he falls on his face. He falls on this divine part of himself, this, this element of himself that is the divine image. Um, I want to share a few other pieces where, where Vaiplu Panav is brought up, but I want to give Rabbi Shapiro a chance to get a word in edgewise if he wants to. Only one? Uh, choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Face. Um, I, I I love that. Um, I, I think there's there's so much. The, the Safaria. I hope everyone on here knows the website Safaria. Do folks do folks know the website? I really hope y'all do. If you haven't, check it out over the weekend. And if you're anything like me, it'll it'll keep you occupied for hours and hours. Safaria like ha- took a construct that I and plenty of other folks have had, which is the sense that. Any word, you know, in, in Torah or Tanakh is sort of like hyperlinked to all these other words. And Safaria so, so made that, right, that, that you can actually like click on one pasuk and it takes you to all the other places that the pasuk shows up in other rabbinic literature. It's phenomenal. But that word panim is, is so rich in terms of all the different things that it evokes in Torah and Tanakh in rabbinic literature. It, it makes me think about how... Moshe wants to be able to like see God and the sense that that Moses did somehow speak with God, Panim El Panim, and how the Kruvim on the Ark they were facing each other, and it's like through what, their Moses' face. face is the thing that lights up when he react when he interacts with God. Yeah, absolutely. So it has all these rich resonances, and so the sense that something that has such divinity as Panim, right? Um, it, like that that falls away from him. It's almost like by, by God not turning to him, it makes it like impossible for him to like turn and return. Right. I'm still lingering with this question of like how he knows that, that God didn't, didn't turn to him. Um, but, but I'm just like really resonating with, with yeah. all the different ways in which Panim shows up over the course of, uh, of different narratives, particularly in, in relationship uh, with God, which is which is interesting. 
Denise, Denise has a question, and then bef before you share there's, any of the other... There's great stuff happening in the chat as well. Oh, I can't Rabbi see. Shots. I, don't oh, know if, I don't know if you're noticing. There's, there's plenty of, of good stuff to respond to in there as well. But yeah, Denise. Hi, Denise. Hi. So my question is um, kind of inspired by Ayanla Van Zandt, who's one of the Oprah people. She's amazing. Um, and she has this thing about your narrative and writing your narrative and rewriting your narrative and how the stories we tell ourselves about things can set the course of a whole experience or relationship or even a life. And looking at this and when you keep saying, we don't know how they knew this, maybe they didn't know this. Maybe Kyan just had this narrative in his own mind and then just ran with it and set off a very bad chain of events. And maybe that's something for us to learn about not filling in our own blanks and not just constructing a narrative without checking in with people. Well, that, that, that phrase you just said, Denise, filling in our own blanks, I, you, you, you know this or you don't, but the next couple of verses contain one of the most famous ellipses yeah. uh, in all of Torah, right? That, that, that right after this, it says... Uh, you know, um, a, a couple of sukim later in verse eight, by Yomer Kain El Hevel Achiv, right? Cain said to Abel, his brother, nothing, right? We we don't know what he says. And then when they were in the field, that's when he killed him, right? It's it's like dot dot. It's literally like dot dot dot. That there's this this major gap in the narrative, and we don't know. So it's so interesting to use that phrase, filling in the blanks. Um, it occurred to me as well, right? Is, is this like an objective assessment in terms of what God did or didn't do? Or is it, are, are we like almost getting this story from Cain's perspective that, that from what he saw, God turned to his brother, but not to him. And it's the jealousy and it's rivalry, um, mm -hmm. which prompts his actions, yeah. whether or not that objectively was or wasn't something that happened. It's almost like we're seeing it from, from like his, his, uh, his sense of what was, what was going on. So, yeah. And, and, and then the question of, is it possible or how is it possible to rewrite our own narratives? I mean, we, I would talk about that a lot with folks at, at Bechuva that if the story you've been telling yourself is that you are, I'm an alcoholic who can't get sober, or I'm a drug addict who keeps screwing up, or I'm a gambler who always loses everything. In some ways, the narrative is one of the hardest things to, to let go of after you've, you've initially gotten clean. Mm -hmm. right? Because the story that you tell yourself about who you are, right? I, I have some, some very hardwired stories in terms of the kind of husband I am, the kind of son I am, the kind of brother I am, the kind of father I am. And, I, and, and hopefully I can be empowered to change the parts of those narratives that, that don't serve me and don't serve the people around me. But that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's really tough stuff. Um, and, you know, it seems like it's, it's too late for Cain to rewrite that narrative. Um, but, but we can potentially learn something. Or he was never given the chance to write it to begin with, right? I think that that's also, uh, a, it's a problem with a lot of our, our beginning characters in the Torah is that we jump to these conclusions because that we don't, we don't actually give them a chance to write that narrative, to even rewrite that narrative. They haven't and written it first for them to even be able to rewrite it. Um, Eric just brought up that he 
that he has a translation that states that Cain became very angry and depressed. And I want to jump off of that because that is what a lot of our rabbis believe Vayipol Panav means. Um, that Vayiplu Panav, excuse me, that, that his face literally fell, that he just never was able to smile again or show joy again or able to to find kind of his way back into himself again. I mean, based on what Rebecca said, right, reminding us that panim is also part of the word bifni, which is inside, that all of that, I don't know how many of you have been told this about your own face, um, but I've been told that I show everything on my face. You can tell when I'm mad, you can tell when I'm excited about something, I'm very expressive with my face. And that just shows that if he fell on his face, that he couldn't hide his emotion any longer. He was sad, he was depressed, he was angry, whatever it was, that he felt like he had to fall on his face to literally be able to kind of go inside himself and figure out what, what that was all about. Um, I don't think we actually lost him, but Rabbi Shapiro went away for a second. So I'm going to uh, take this opportunity to, to – oh, there you're back. I had, a, I had um, a fourth grader asking if he could print something. Oh, I, I do like the fourth grader, so that's okay. Oh, so like there, Yeah. So there are two other places that I want to bring up um, – that I want to bring up this same phrase, right? Or just the idea of going down on your face. One is Joseph. When Joseph's brothers come to him and they beg him to take care of them, he says to them, this is, if anybody wants to look this up, this is in Genesis 48, verse 12. He tells his brothers to stand up and then he goes down onto his face. And Maybe he was overwhelmed with emotion. Maybe he just didn't know how to how to express himself. Maybe, you know, sometimes when you're trying to to hide a smile and you don't have a great poker face, you like put your hands over your face so that they can't see what you're doing or saying. But maybe he just he was so pleased to see them, but still in this character of needing to be in power over them. We don't really know, but that's another moment of him going down on his face. And then Moses, this one is a little bit more um, famous, I would say, in terms of going, uh, falling on his face. So the people come up against Moses and Aaron and for the gazillionth time are complaining to them and are saying, you've gone too far. We're great people. God is with us. Why are you telling us that you need to be above us as our leaders, right? Why can't you just dwell amongst us as a person? And we typically read this as Moses becoming overwhelmed. But what it says is, Vayishma Moshe, Vayipol al panav. Moses hears this from them and he falls on his face. And this one to me is even more connected to Cain because we don't know how he heard it, right? We don't know that he was really listening or that he was just angry that they were again complaining about something. We don't know. Similar to we don't know how God expressed God's self in terms of saying this is not the offering that I wished for. And yet he falls on his face. And the rabbis believe that Moshe fell on his face because he was ashamed and he wanted to offer a prayer. Because he hoped, this is specifically from Chizkuni, he hoped to receive a revelation from God and how to go on and how to confront the challenge that he was living through. So this kind of wraps up my piece and then I'll turn it over to Rabbi Shapiro. But I do think that what we see here in Cain is that he's not trying to 
trying to hide anger. He's not trying to hide that he is that that he doesn't believe in God any longer, or or is uh, perturbed by the fact that his brother was chosen over him. He's trying to take a moment to reevaluate. How can I do better? Now, as we know, the story continues and he doesn't do better. So we don't know what came out of that that moment of him falling on his face. But we've all probably needed moments to just take a second, reevaluate, and redirect. And that seems to be what Cain was at least hoping for from God. So go to to go back to Elon's point, this is the point for me that is extremely disturbing which is that if, you're, if we take this idea of falling on your face as a moment with God, a moment of, like we do in, in Tachanun, where you go down on your, on your arm, on your face, if that's supposed to be a moment of supplication and of deep connection to God, where was God in that moment? Why didn't God help Cain out of that? Right? I don't care so much about the sacrifice. I care about the reaction to the sacrifice and bringing him out of that moment. So... That's something that I'm still wrestling with and, and holding onto from this verse um, and, and hoping that, uh, that we can all find ways in which we take those moments for ourselves to reevaluate and then do a better job than Cain did to find those who can help us actually move forward in whatever way um, we were hoping to redirect. I think for me, it's, it's interesting. You, I saw you had those Tsukim on the sheet and What's interesting to me in, in sort of comparing those is that they are, those phrases are structured a little bit differently, right? The, they're structured in both of those cases in terms of the, the, the not falling, right? The, the falling is an action done by, by Joseph or by Moshe, yeah. where, whereas here, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the face that does the falling, right? Like, like, he didn't, he didn't make a, like, he didn't fall on his face. His face fell, um, which is, which to me is a, is a subtle but important difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what, what I'm thinking about that here then is it, and it, and it fits with the character, right? It's, it's almost like his agency is totally lacking. It's totally impulsive. He doesn't even have the ability to make a choice to say, I'm going to fall on my face. His face just falls. Yeah. Right. Um, which fits with the sense of maybe he really doesn't know how to even like pause and make that choice to say, okay, what's, what's the right thing to do in this moment? Ah, I need to take a moment to fall on my face and pause and try to connect. It's just, oh man, this didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Boom, gone. Um, which, which to me sort of um, connects with my sense of him as a, problematic uh, person who makes a terrible choice, but also someone who doesn't, um, and, and it was referred to a couple places in the show, like he doesn't yet have that impulse control. Yeah. He doesn't have it. He hasn't learned it. He hasn't, he hasn't had it modeled for him. Um, and, and his face just boom falls. Um, which, 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 which connects it with those characters, but also differentiates him from, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. in terms of, um, that gap between their ability to mindfully make a choice as opposed to his his lack of ability to do that, which then just, of course, a couple of skim later, we see sort of the, the, the tragic impact of that. Right, right. Um, 
and I see that the chat is blowing up. So I want to, I want to, uh, I at least want to, want to read the Rabbi Schatz. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that as I read what folks, as folks are saying? Um, well, I just want to say to Barbara, you're right. It doesn't say that he fell on his face and that his face fell. That's right. And that's, that's exactly, I think, the, the differentiation between these folks, that what does it mean that his face fell, right? Mo- most of the time we would assume that that, that that means that he himself, you know, changed his appearance and changed his look and, and went into that depressed state. I think the connection that I was making based on the other characters that Rabbi Shapiro just, just commented on um, is that if it says that his face fell, my guess is whether or not his face literally went down to the ground is that he did take a second to, you know, I, I can speak to myself in terms of if I hear, um, if I hear news that is disappointing to me, my face changes and I'm not always present to listen while I'm disappointed. I'm typically thinking in, inward, how am I going to respond to, the, to this disappointment? So whether or not his face literally hit the pavement, I don't know. But I do think that it's similar to the, to the impact of going down on your face, um, of needing to go inside and figure out and figure out what that is that you need to, to pivot. So I, I, the last thing I'll say, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great app. I'm, I'm doing all this, this technology stuff today. Uh, there's a great app from, from Blue Letter Bible. It is not, it is not a Jewish app. They have, they have the Christian Bible on there as well. But you, but you can get like a concordance on your phone. It's super user-friendly. Um, I, I, Rabbi Schatz is, is laughing at what a dork I am, and that's okay. Um, the the word panim is mentioned a few times before this in the Torah. The time just before it is when God is looking for Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Right. So the time the 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 last time we heard face in a narrative was God's face looking for Adam and Eve, and the next time we hear face is when Cain's face falls. So it, it it's almost like. Mm-hmm. These characters like sort of just keep missing each other, or or the, that that translation of Betzelam Elohim being on your face is that God actually has has now changed demeanor, right? That maybe that that there's something there about that connection between how how God was looking before versus now God rethinking what it was like to not take both of those sacrifices. And reflecting that on Cain's face for the feeling that he might have had for from that disappointment. Yeah, I, I, all of the above. I mean, it, in my mind right now, I'm thinking it's almost like a screwball comedy. It's like God's looking for Adam and Eve, and like they're going this way, and now Cain is looking for God, but God's looking right. These characters just sort of like keep missing each other and and can't quite connect within like a really um, tra- tragic impact. And, and I'm like, just now I keep riffing on this same idea. And there is something to be said, maybe cliche for the fact that if God is really within each one of us, then God was there all the time. It's just a matter of how we found God. So Adam found God in a very different way than Cain found God and Cain found God in disappointment. Right. And so Cain's face fell. Um, I hadn't thought about this before, so now it's just coming out and word ramble. But but it is 
the way that you just said it, Rabbi Shapiro, it is very interesting to think about the the search for God, um, whether or not whether or not the people found God, God's self, or found that godliness within them and the feelings that went along with that. And the challenge of that. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes, Larry. I, I often see Larry, but I rarely get to hear Larry, so I'm excited to, to hear you, Larry. Your greeting was so good, I forgot for a moment what I was going to say. <laughs> I think... I think um, I think we're we're, beginning, we're dealing with beginners. God is a beginner. Adam and Eve are beginners, and and Cain and Abel are beginners too. Yeah. And they're learning the business of social interaction uh, the hard way. And uh, and there's a word that Freud developed three thousand years later called sibling rivalry. And of course, Freud was a Jewish, and he had a Jewish background. He knew all Cain yeah. and Abel, and he just gave a modern term for it. But uh, if you read about Freud on sibling rivalry, it's as, as if he knew all about it. And how did he know it? Because he was Jewish <laughs> and had a Jewish education and dealt with early beginning and primal development and things like that. And, uh, and we're having, I think what we're having here is a, a lesson in primal development, how the natural order gives us a cheerful disposition, disposition and we're yeah. really to be cheerful and friendly toward people in, in, in the social fabric in which we're embedded. And sometimes sometimes we become suddenly disappointed and the and the cheerful disposition suddenly falls away and, and we react to the setback in our expectations. Beautiful, Larry. Thank you for sharing that. And I and I really agree with you and I think to to bring it back to the world that we're living in today you know, one of the most beautiful pieces of being able to be on Zoom is that your faces right now are much closer to me than if we were in a room or a sanctuary, especially Rabbi Shapiro's. If we were in a room or a sanctuary or, you know, wherever we would be to regularly be teaching this class, you're very close. And for us to be able to see your reactions, to see your lips moving when you want to share something, to see your nods, to see all of that, to see your disposition change, right? I will speak from experience that when I am teaching a class, I am reading people's faces so much more than I used to. And I pivot if I see that I've said something that has made someone sad or made someone extremely happy to hear about that, I continue talking about it or I stop talking about it immediately. And so I think you're right, Larry, that because we're at the beginning and these people are just learning about what it even means to have a disposition, right? That that disposition also change, changes and changed very quickly for them. Um, so thank you for, for bringing up Freud. That was a beautiful, a beautiful Larry connection uh, and, and glad, to, glad to have you speak. Any other comments or questions or com comments? Did I say comments twice? I think I did. Yep, great. Well, anybody have lots of comments? <laughs> yeah, Barbara? I don't have lots, but, and this is not for this particular uh, phrase. We read in the Bible that Adam and Eve came, they had two children. And then they're even talking about taking on their mother when their father dies so they can make more babies. But yet, Cain finds a wife somewhere, 
Did God make little enclaves all over the world and other religions believe in them and we don't know about them? I've always wondered how the world came about with people when we started out with two guys, not a brother and sister that could have. <laughs> yeah. Just, you don't have to really answer it because I don't know if there is an answer. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. Uh, that I don't have to answer it, but I, <laughs> I will. Because I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there, and I don't know, and no one knows. But, um, but it is a question. I mean, I remember asking a very similar question. You know, in elementary school, learning these stories for the first time. Like, wait a second, I understand where babies come from, and you need another person, and where are they all coming from? So it's a great question, and I, the rabbis, you know, riff on it, and there are midrash on it, and all those kinds of things, but no one actually knows. Um, my guess is that, yes, there were other, there were other human beings around um, that, you know, created other life, um, and that we just are focused on a specific set of them. That's my guess. That's... Yeah. That's not what the Midrash says. It doesn't say it that clean, cleanly, but uh, that's my guess. Any other thoughts in our last minute? This was a, a wonderful thing, and I think, I, thanks to both of you, I think everybody in the group would say the same thing. Thanks, Barbara. It's fun Barbara. getting to learn with you guys. Thumbs up. So is Bonnie, so is Elon, so is Karen. Oh, wow, we're getting lots of th- Thank you. Now, if you don't want to give us a thumbs up, you can. Um, Renee just asked me if challah baking and cooking is okay during class, to which I'll say only if you have enough to share with the whole group. Renee. She only asked you that because I'm very used to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, it's of course allowed. And, uh, and we're glad to do this with you. I, you know, I have, I will only speak for myself and then I'll let Rabbi Shapiro have the last word. But um, part of doing Shabbat, uh, my cousin Joseph just said he's listening. He just texted me that. Well, Joseph, I'm glad you're here. An eight-year-old always learns Torah. What a sweet guy. So, I, what I was gonna say is, I one of the one of the things that feels like a deficit to me in the world that we're living in for Shabbat is that I don't get to be in community with all of you and share Torah with you in person in the same way. And this is. Just one of those ways that Rabbi Shapiro and I are hoping to bring a little bit of Torah uh, to you and hearing your voices and being able to be in conversation. I know that I'm now going into Shabbat with many more questions and thoughts about Cain and Abel than I had even two hours ago. So um, thank you for being here with us. We will do next week's Parsha together next week at the same time and the same link. Um, And Rabbi Shapiro, if you have any final thoughts. Thanks, everybody. This was really fun. Hope to see you next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.